Hi, I'm Adam Miller. And I'm Sarah Sweet. And welcome to Food on the Radio. Hi, Sarah. How you doing? Good morning, Adam. Welcome to Food on the Radio's annual Thanksgiving edition. So before we talk about that stuff, you know, we, we always pretty much start with what we made this week um, or last week. Uh, what did you make last week, Sarah, before Thanksgiving pops up? Well, I'm sort of on a mission to make recipes that I find interesting on Instagram and see if they are, in fact, viable recipes. <laughs> so, so far, I think I can tell you, I had high hopes. I made a three-ingredient so-called no-churn ice cream that was comprised of lemons, a can of coconut milk, and maple syrup. Sounds dubious. Well, I decided to follow the recipe exactly as it was described, which was to cut only the ends off the lemons and throw them in entire, otherwise, into your blender along with a can of <laughs> along with a can of coconut and the maple syrup. So I did this and I considered straining it, you know, I kind of hemmed and hawed, and then I said, I'm just gonna do what it says. I'm testing what it is these people on Instagram have shown me to do. And it was the most horrifically bitter concoction of all time. Like, I don't even think the recipe calls for half a cup of maple syrup. I think had I put in a gallon of maple syrup, it could not have fended off the intensity of both the rind and the pith of the lemon. That It sounds like a, something that Bugs Bunny would make. 100%. Although, I mean, I'm sure he's a better... Would have had better luck than I did. I will say that I followed the instructions as per the Instagram post, right? And then uh, in a fit of curiosity, I then Googled my way around the internet looking for other people having tested this recipe. And all the things I could find, people were like, it's delicious. It's amazing. And one lady suggested you could peel, like you could remove the peel and the pith if you wanted to. But then there's the question, like, are all your lemons the same age? Because you know how you have right. lemons hanging around, like one might be a little older. And so then they're, you know, it changes, like the oils and the rind change. Absolutely. And yeah, so it's a little more bitter. Also, the seeds are in there. Are the seeds making it so bitter? A, a, a 0 0.1 out of 10. It wasted the end of my really good maple syrup and probably about an hour of my time. I was trying to play the game. I was doing what they said, and right. I can tell you it is no good. But I'm interested to try it again with only lemon juice and see if it turns out better. But I'm not interested in wasting any more good maple syrup. So Wait, couldn't you just make lemon ice cream the way you would want to with like sugar and cream and lemon juice? Sure, and... but then I'd just be making lemon ice cream and not testing recipes from <laughs> Instagram to report on for our radio show. Well, I agree. I have never actually done a recipe from Instagram. I've never seen the point. I feel like when it comes to the internet, as long as I have the New York Times cooking app, why go anywhere else on the internet? I have to come back with the second thing that I made this week, only oh. because it's also falls under the category of an Instagram recipe, which is was a savory dish. And it looked 
delicious in the post, right? So I was like, I'm going to try this. It looks phenomenal. And it was phenomenal. And it might have been one of the easiest things anyone could imagine making. It's sort of like a soup or a stew. It's a chickpea stew. Let's just say it doesn't have a name really in this post, but it's basically a bunch of Cavallo Nero um, or Tuscan kale. Okay. A can of chickpeas, garlic, an onion, some lemon. And they do suggest to top it at the end with like a ricotta or a burrata. I skipped that part. But basically you're browning the onion and some garlic lightly in a pan over here, right? Then you blanch your bunch of Tuscan kale, quickly submerge it in an ice bath, and then blend it in your Cuisinart or your blender. And you might have to use a little of the water that you blanched it in to kind of get it loose. I did that and I did add a little like veggie bouillon to that. And then you put in the chickpeas. I also added cannellini beans because like at this part in the recipe, I'm like, this is going to be good. I'm going to add what I want. (laughs) And then you pour the liquid from your blender into the pan where you have your base going. And then you just let it heat back up and you put a little chili flake in there probably back with your onions. And I added frozen peas so that by the time we served it, they were no longer frozen. It was delicious. It was quick and easy. And it was straight up from how green it looked in the post on Instagram is what made me try it. But it's a great like getting dark at four o'clock night kind of meal. It's super easy. All you need to do is go find yourself a bunch of Tuscan kale. I bet you have everything else in your pantry. Well, that sounds really great. It was. Can confirm. Um, What did you make this week? Well, it's funny because in some ways, one of the I made two interesting things, and one of them was right along the lines of what you were just talking about in terms of easy pantry type stuff. And it's kind of like a reassurance for anybody who thinks soup is a pain in the butt, because there is no no there are no soup police that come and cart you away if you decide to use, for instance, chicken stock or vegetable stock if you're you know vegan or vegetarian and canned beans or whatever type of thing that comes somewhat prepared it's okay no one's going to come and get you so i wanted to make minestrone and i decided that i would i had some leftover it was hadn't been cooked yet but i had like half of a chicken that i had made so i was like i'm going to chop that up and i'm just going to cook that it'll cook actually in a soup later and then everything else that i pretty much used came out of a can in terms of there was chicken stock, there was beans, there was, the, okay, the vegetables were fresh, you know, some carrots. Some <laughs> okay, celery, okay. You know, <laughs> the vegetables were fresh. And then pretty much just put it all together and made a soup. And if you really want to, especially these days, you can go to almost any store and buy pre-cooked chicken and just throw that in. Traditionally, minestrone doesn't have chicken in it, but I just felt like it. And I finally, I did something too that I've always meant to do is that I put a Parmesan rind in the soup and it really is great. It really works. Just don't forget to take it out because it looks really gross after you've- (laughs) Surprise. Yeah, Um, but it really does work. It really creates a sort of rich Parmesan-y kind of flavor without it being a ton of cheese in there. And then the other thing I would just say in terms of a tip of when you make a soup like that is if you're going to add noodles, which of course I did, I met, you know, some macaroni or something like that. I don't add that till I know I'm going to eat it because otherwise it can just become like super like blown up pasta, you know? Like oh, right. 
because it just keeps absorbing and absorbing the water. So that that's my other tip. This pasta absorbing all the broth problem happens a lot because you get excited or we do anyway, we throw the pasta in the soup. But what I've started doing is cooking it separately and then just keeping it in the fridge and then adding it when I reheat the soup, like for each time we're eating it, add it when I'm reheating the soup. So that way you just have it like per dish and not in there overnight, like totally absorbing all your broth. That's a great idea. And there's a, another little tip with that too. Dogs love noodles. <laughs> we put we put leftover noodles on dog food and they just love it. Now we can move on to Thanksgiving a little bit. And I was a lot of it. My favorite, favorite holiday in the world. Every once in a while, I report on things that I've been reading about leafing through my Bon Appetit magazine recently. And of course, every magazine every year, basically, you know what their cover and their stories are going to be when you get to November. They had a list of Thanksgiving appetizers. And now, Sarah, this goes to when we often have a segment called Gross, Not Gross. And today it's a hybrid with our Thanksgiving discussion. The hors d'oeuvres for Thanksgiving included something that I found off-putting, to say the least, which were these little toothpick-arranged appetizers that included these three items, pickle, spam, and brie. You're saying that's gross? Gross as gross can be. You know, I have to uh, karate chop you right here because even as a vegetarian, I think that sounds good. Especially if you like pan seared the spam or like replaced it with pancetta or something. So it's like a cornichon and spam and brie. But you'd certainly have to pan fry it. It includes heating oil in a large skillet over medium high and cooking the spam, tossing it occasionally until crisp and browned on all sides. Okay, so that's what you do with the spam. You put a little mustard on it. So to me, the combination even of the mustard, the pickle, the brie and the spam, adding even the mustard just makes it that much more disgusting. I feel like you've never had a ham sandwich. (laughs) If I have a ham sandwich, I'm not putting pickles and and brie on it. Like a Cubano. Like these are classic flavor profiles to go together. Like the delicious cheese and stone ground mustard, a little cornichon. You know, I could make these with with like fake meat or tofu. I would these look delicious. You are completely crazy. And you would put this on a platter and hand it to somebody at Thanksgiving dinner. Yes. Okay. Well, listeners, what do you think about pickles, spam, and brie? Let us know. And mustard. <laughs> oh yes, and mustard. Please let us know at foodontheradio at gmail.com. And if you have any other disgusting for some people and tasty for others recipes for appetizers at your Thanksgiving, let us know that as well. I would say this, as prescribed by Bon Appetit, this feels more like a holiday appetizer, like a Yuletide appetizer. For (laughs) me to feel confident about handing this out at actual Thanksgiving, I might do a little orange cranberry relish in place of the mustard. Oh, so you could make it even grosser. There you. 
it, it wasn't unpleasant enough. Let's add cranberries. Oh. Wait, do you have something against cranberries? Because we're gonna the gloves are coming off. Oh no, no, I love cranberries. I absolutely do. Okay, you could do anything to a cranberry, and I will eat it. But why hurt a cranberry by sticking it with spam? That's what I say. I mean, so replace the spam with like a piece of country pate. How about you replace the spam with like turkey, and you put it on a plate, and you forget the pickle, and you forget the brie, and you just have the two best things, which is cranberry and turkey. That doesn't sound so much like an um, appetizer, but okay. No. I guess maybe this is your way to like keep people from coming to your house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> you get one piece of turkey and a cranberry. What is your main dish since you don't eat meat for Thanksgiving? Like the main thing I look forward to eating. What's the thing you pretend is where the turkey would be? We just don't. First, our first year of not eating meat, we did get one of those little like, I think they're made by like Gardein or something. And it's like a strange little log, like a little, (laughs) it's called like a roast, but it's just made of. Who knows what? Tofu, buckwheat. My Um, mouth is watering just as you say this. (laughs) They're actually pretty tasty and they are are stuffed with something like they're fine. But I have we have found that you can actually we just fill our plates with all the other stuff. And unless somebody's getting like into sausage stuffing, there really isn't any other meat (laughs) unless you're making spam bites. There really isn't any other meat featured at Thanksgiving and we do eat fish and shrimp show. So if there's like a shrimp cocktail around, that's always good, but we pretty much just build a big giant plate of sides and there is no spot where the Turkey would go. (laughs) Well, I must admit there have been several Thanksgivings over the generations with my family where someone has said, why don't we just do side dishes? Yeah. I mean, I don't eat the meat anymore, but To me, the best part in the past of when I was eating meat, where turkey was concerned at Thanksgiving, was a next day sandwich or using the carcass in a soup, making turkey soup. But eating it on the plate during the day of Thanksgiving was never, ever a highlight. Right. And I'm an advocate of a sandwich made just with bread and then the stuffing. You're listening to Food on the Radio on WOMR, 92.1 in Provincetown. 91.3 in Orleans. If you're a fan of our show or any of the other fantastic shows on this station, please show your support with a donation to WOMR. Call now, 508-487-2619. Or you can donate online at WOMR.org. Or you can donate via your smartphone by texting WOMR to 44321. With a pledge of $60 or more, you can get a half pound of fudge from the Penny Patch in Provincetown. And who doesn't love fudge? WOMR is volunteer-driven and listener-supported. Give us a call now and keep that spirit alive. Well, speaking of cranberries, which are one of my spirit foods, I have to tell you that my favorite thing 
to make and have at the Thanksgiving table is a recipe I first heard about a number of years ago on NPR. And I'm sure listeners have possibly heard the same piece I heard because I think they play it every year. It's about Mama Stamberg's cranberry relish. And this is correspondent Susan Stamberg's mother's cranberry relish recipe, which could be featured on Gross or Not Gross, depending. But it is two cups of whole raw cranberries, an onion, sour cream, sugar, horseradish, okay? And you basically blitz it up in your Cuisinart. And then you want to leave it a little bit chunky so it's not like a puree, but there's still pieces visible of the cranberry. And then you put it in a plastic container and freeze it. And then, so you want to make this kind of like the day before. So early, um, when you get up on Thanksgiving morning, you take it out of the freezer and put it in the refrigerator so it starts to sort of thaw. Although by the time you serve it, it should still have some little, like little bits of icy slivers left. It looks like Pepto-Bismol. It is that pink. It's like very intensely pink. It is so delicious because it has that tang. It's got the horseradish. It has the cranberry. It's got a little bit of that sugar and the sour cream. It's really, I tell you, it will make all of your leftover turkey sandwiches or stuffing sandwiches or any sandwich taste so great. 10 out of 10, recommend, will try, do make. Yes, you have made this. I thought it was, it's it's not my cup of tea, but I do know a lot of people swear by it and like it. I, I am always saddled with the responsibility of making sure that I make two cranberry relishes because there are people who don't want anything in it except the basics of sugar and cranberry. I always like to play with it. So I always make two, one inch, which is totally basic and makes everyone happy. And then I always try something goofy where I just add like cinnamon sticks and some orange peel and maybe some clove and some allspice. And sometimes I've done it with brown sugar. Sometimes I've tried some maple syrup. I think all of those are fantastic. And sometimes I'm the only one who eats like a half a cup of it and and no one else likes it. But I still continue to do this. My understanding is you are also an advocate of having the right out of the can where you can see the ridges of the can. <laughs> you got to have it. It's a total nostalgic and delicious staple. I will say this. I have to give a shout out to my mom. Hey, Peggy Farber, if you're listening, she makes the best cranberry orange relish, which is another have to have it on the table. Very different from this, but also tastes good on a sandwich, which again is like an orange cranberries, some sugar. It's very simple, but you again, just blitz it up. So it's still kind of chunky. And that was always something that has to be on the table, along with the ocean spray cranberry jelly, which is technically not relish, but a jelly. So, you know, in the same issue of Bon Appetit magazine, where we had the gross brie spam recipe thing. So-called, so-called gross. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) They had a great sort of like layout article all about cranberries. So if you go to this month's Bon Appetit magazine, I highly recommend it for that because it tells you everything you want to know about cranberries, how to cook them, the different types, nice little guide there. And I I think I can actually even post the article if you want to check it out. Let's get it. 
This being the Thanksgiving episode, I was wondering if you are a pumpkin pie guy or not. Not really. I will eat one if it's the only pie in front of me. Although, as some people know, I don't eat dairy, so it would have to be a dairy-free version. And, you know, it's one of these things. There are some things that I do think it's better to eat something else than a substitute ingredient version of the thing you want to eat. And which goes to even when you were talking about that you don't do the sort of fake turkey log because it's better just to eat a lot of other good things than try to simulate something. And with pumpkin pie, I imagine you could make a good pumpkin pie without dairy. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's lots of other things to eat. But the short answer after that long. Jeez Louise, yes yeah. or no? Oh. <laughs> Shorter answer is um, I'm kind of like it's a C plus for me. Uh, pumpkin pie. All right. Well, I have been reading a little bit about, because, you know, since we're not knocking our brains out on the farm making pumpkin pie from real pumpkins anymore, there's debate about which kind of canned pumpkin is the best. Well, America's Test Kitchen recently did all the work for us. And their top pick, believe it or not, is Libby's 100% pure pumpkin in a can. So they're saying their tasters are picking it because it's got a really smooth consistency and is slightly sweet, but mainly has a prominent pumpkin flavor and its color. But the one that I always buy is, you can think of the label, you can imagine it. It's one pie pumpkin. They also make a squash, but it's very old fashioned looking, the can. I always buy that one just because that's what my mom bought. And that's, I like the label. So I'm glad that that's number two on their list. Um, they do have reservations about it, though, that it can be grainy or gritty and that <laughs> might sometimes taste metallic. But what they don't recommend is farmer's market organic pumpkin in a can. I don't even know where this comes from, but they said it is unappealing, that it's squashy color, does not even look like pumpkin, and that it tastes bitter and starchy. So for those of you out there who are pumpkin pie people... You might want to give Libby's 100% Pure Pumpkin a chance this year. But if you have your go-to faves, stick with that. I'm still going to get the one the one pie pumpkin. Even though I don't make pumpkin pie, I make a no-bake no pumpkin cheesecake, which is so good. But I just think it's, I'm glad that there's people out there at America's Test Kitchen trying these things out for us so we don't have to. <laughs> Right. And, you know, to a certain extent, you bring up the most important thing about Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or, or any holiday, whether it's Passover, Easter, is the idea that to a certain extent, it's about returning to warm sense memories that, that are part of our lives. And it, it isn't about providing the most important gourmet experience in your life. And I have to say, in almost every instance that I have attempted to create a more sort of gourmet style Thanksgiving, it has been an abject failure. <laughs> Nobody wants it. Nobody wants highfalutin food. They want like the East Ham turnip. They want the basics. They want old time. Right. It, and it, it's again, it's about love and togetherness and family and memory. 
And obviously, for some people, Thanksgiving can also be about stress and and all kinds of other things. So why even in that case, if Thanksgiving and holidays can be a stressful thing, one pushes through, don't make it more difficult by, well, in my case, in the past, deciding you're going to make lamb shanks. Ooh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, why make life more complicated than it has to be? It's hard to go home again. And one of the ways we actually can is with our taste buds. So go for it. Oh, I love that. So in this week's Provincetown Independent, they have an article about the opening day at Skip. And what Skip is, is free lunch at the Soup Kitchen in Provincetown, which is open for its 32nd season. This year, it opened on November 6th. And it's just a great article about how all these volunteers come together and people love having this lunch that they provide from 1230 to 1.30 every weekday at the United Methodist Church. And it just sounds great. And I love the idea that volunteers and local people in Provincetown come together to, to share food. I love that. So you can find out more about Soup Kitchen in Provincetown at skipfood.org. It has the lunch menu there. It's got a button for you to donate so this awesome program can continue on. Yeah, Provincetown United Methodist Church at 20 Shank Painter Road there in Provincetown. If you don't need to eat there, you can donate so other people can. Or volunteer. Another local thing that's going on, on Sunday, November 22nd, the Wellfleet Farmers Market has its Harvest Market, and that's at First Congregational Church at 200 Main Street. This weekend on Saturday, November 18th, the East Ham Public Library presents a Taste of Turnip Day as part of the East Ham Turnip Festival. So normally they they um, host the East Ham Turnip Festival at the high school, but they are having tons of renovations over there. So what they what they're doing instead is this local restaurants and chefs are stepping up to the turnip plate. Um, to participate in Taste of Turnip Day. So on Saturday, this Saturday, November 18th, local chefs and restaurateurs will be flexing their culinary muscles and creating delectable dishes featuring everyone's favorite turnip, the East Ham turnip. So let's see who's participating. The Alley Barbecue in Orleans, the Barley Neck Inn, Bosco Grill in East Ham. That's a new one. Block and Tackle and Wellfleet, Brick House in East Ham. The list goes on and on. So check out EastHamTurnipFestival.com if you would like to get out there this Saturday and sample everyone's favorite turnip, the East Ham Turnip. Daughter, please come here so all together. We'll get this turn into the kitchen pot. Daughter, please. Come here so all together. There was a really great book, uh, The Light You Cannot See. Oh, don't tell me anything about it. I refuse to see this movie. I love the book so much. Well, what I was going to tell you is I've started the series on Netflix. And mm -hmm. the reason I'm including it in Food on the Radio is there a scene where the villain is being villainous and eating oysters. And I realized that there's many times that you see people eating certain foods while they're being a villain, that there's something about the idea of, oh, I'm a terrible person, but I'm sort of demonstrating my terribleness by the way that I'm either eating something or by the food that I'm eating. And it seemed like in this case, the oyster was 
very much appropriate to that sort of sense. And I, I can think of a lot of different movies and TV shows where you see oftentimes they're maybe peeling an orange very slowly, you know, so the peel creates this um, sort of uh, tension <laughs> or ah. they're cutting, a, cutting an apple with a, with a small pen knife or again, eating oysters or a variety of things. But I always thought there, how many times there are scenes where a villain somehow seems more threatening and weird because they are eating while they're about to prepare to do something horrific. Um, all I can think of is Silence of the Lambs. That kind of that's where both these ideas meet up in perfect harmony. <laughs> well, that is definitely the sort of ultimate version of that for sure. Oh. Yeah, the other thing that you're making me think of, and we shouldn't ever even talk about this on Food on the Radio, but that that horrific sort of delicacy in France where people eat the little songbird. What are they, like Ortolan? I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. They did it on succession, but it's definitely a way to indicate that the, the person or character you're witnessing is a very bad, awful person if they're eating an endangered songbird. One other thing that I can recommend in terms of this sort of trip down movie villainy, it's one of my favorite movies is a movie called The Freshman. And it's with, with Matthew Broderick. Yes. And Marlon Brando. And it, it I've heard of him. Yes. And it includes some of the most amusing references to to eating. <laughs> and all I could do is if you've never seen this movie, download it. It's really great. I don't want to give away the food portion of it. But all I can tell you is it has a great and happy surprise ending to it. And please enjoy it. It's a, a, a great sort of small, lesser known movie. Listeners, if you have any weird villain associations from any movies you've seen or any tales of exquisite or disastrous Thanksgiving meals, send us an email at foodontheradio at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Food on the Radio. That's right. And that was a lot of fun. Have fun at your Thanksgiving, but we are out of time. Bye, Sarah. Hi, Adam. Happy Thanksgiving. Take a seat tonight.